I'm talking to you today about restoration. <clears throat> he restores my soul. Your soul is your will, your mind, and your emotions. And so God wants to restore your soul. There's, uh, I was walking through my garage and just, I don't know, it was just, I was thinking a lot of the uh, negative things in my past because that's where you have memories in your, in your brain your mind, and uh, from time to time, if you're not careful, the devil will play video, HD, so I was just thinking about that, and I just thought, you know what, man, I just wish I could relive a lot of my life, have you ever thought that, you could just relive a lot of your life, like 90% of it, you don't want to go back to a teenager, but you was, those were terrible years, but I mean, I would love to... uh, Relive some of the things and make better choices. Make better, better choices. And uh, just uh, be smarter in life. And um, the Lord says, I got something better than you going back. Because more than likely, you'll make other mistakes that you didn't make the first time. So uh, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it says this. Then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what is delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value and add one-fifth more to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of the trespass offering. So let me just paraphrase this. If you did somebody wrong, you know that song, I done somebody wrong song? About 90% of the country music songs. But anyway, but uh, they, they uh, I'm not against country music. Some of them I am. The ones that, anyway. Uh, he was saying if you did somebody wrong, if you lied, you steal, stole from somebody, you, you did something, that there would be a trespass offering. So not only did you have to pay 100%, you had to pay one-fifth more, which would be 20%. So you had to bring it up to 100% and add another 20% on that for a total of 120, 120%. That was your penalty for what you did wrong to make things right. Does that make sense? All right, so you had 20% more. So you think, man, the people who did wrong, boy, it was going to cost them. It was going to cost them. And uh, I just feel like that when God put this in place, listen to me, he knew there was going to be a day that his son was going to be on the cross and that he was going to become the one who paid the 120%. And I'll tell you why. Because in Psalms, you know there's some prophetic Psalms. Some of the Psalms that uh, prophesied about what Jesus was going to do. Many Psalms are, well, I shouldn't say many. There's quite a few Psalms. One of them is Psalm 69.4. They that hate me without a cause or more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me being my enemies wrongfully and mightily. Then I restore that which I took not away. And what he's saying is, I restored, even though it wasn't my fault. I wasn't the guilty party. 
I wasn't the one who took it away. I wasn't the one who stole it, but I am going to be the one who restores it. All right? John 15.25 verifies this. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in the law, or written in the word. They hated me without a cause. So Psalm 69.4. So the Jewish people knew right away what psalm he was talking about. They were experts in knowing the law and knowing the word of God. Psalm 69.4, the very first part says, They that hate me without a cause. John 15.25, Jesus said, This happened that they would might be fulfilled, which was written in the law. They hated me without a cause. So that tells us that Psalm 69.4 is talking about Jesus. Are you following me? You connecting the dots? So that scripture says, Then I will restore that which I took not away. Jesus, when he's on the cross, he is making restitution for all of mankind. And he is saying this, I am restoring everything that the devil has stolen from you, that the poor decisions that you've made, that the stupid, I mean, has anybody filled out the stupid box? Yeah, I filled out the stupid box. I go, dear Lord, I mean, there's no other word. I know Melody doesn't like that word, but it was just stupid. I mean, just fill that square solid. It's not even a check mark. It's solid. <laughs> and this is what God says. I will restore the stupid box. I will restore everything that you feel like you can't go back and make right. God says, you don't have to. And this is the great thing about restoration, you know. I mean, I, I've always thought, you know, people, you know, they says, man, if we get a 55 Chevy, not a 55, a 69 Chevelle, you know, you could restore it. I would go, I really don't want it restored. I want all the modern niceties things, you know. I don't, I, I don't, I, I want the digital dashboard. I want the thing to talk to me, and I want to tell it what to do. I don't want it to drive it. No, I don't. These cars that are going to drive themselves, I says, I hope that comes after we're gone. I don't want to trust a computer, you know. Take me to Walmart today. I want to drive it. I want to be in control. I don't even like it when other people drive, and I'm sitting in the seat, so there's no way I'm going to like a computer driving me. But um, this is what people think. They, they restore something to 100%, and you go, man, that's restoration. God says, no, it's not. At least it's not his restoration definition. His restoration definition is I want to take it to 100%, and I'm going to take it higher to 120. Ephesians 3.20, God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think according to the power this is, that is within you. This is the nature of God. This is what God wants to show you and me, that he doesn't just want to restore you. Most people, they'd be so happy with that. But you got to look up a little bit. David said this, why so downcast, O my soul? He was having a hard time. You know that time when uh, uh, he was anointed king, but he didn't have the king robe just yet. He was still running from Saul, and uh, so he was living in the Philistine area, the enemy camp. And so they would go out and raid the enemy, different camps all around, and they would come back to where they were at. And one time when on their way back, they saw smoke, and the whole camp had been burned all of their women, wives, and children have been taken and all of their stuff. That's the time when your soul could go down the tube real quick. 
Not only did he lose his wives and children and all of his stuff, then all of his soldier friends, they started rising up saying, this is David's fault that this happened. You know, it's bad enough when you lose everything, but then your friends turn on you. I'm sure you've never had any of your friends turn on you, but, uh, you know, David did. And this one thing that David had a revelation of, when you don't have anybody to turn to, maybe your friend, maybe that you can't even turn to that friend, or maybe you can't turn to your spouse, maybe you can't turn to your children, maybe you can't turn, period. David had a revelation. He said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust and hope in God. I'm going to hope in you, God. And so when everybody was talking and murmuring about, man, it's, this is David's fault. Man, maybe we ought to kill him. He's the one who did it. He just said, bring the ephod. And he says, we're going to hear from God on this. And so he asked, should we go and pursue the enemy? And uh, the prophet said, yes, go and you will receive all. And he did. We, you and I need to get a hold of this revelation about getting things restored. God wants your health restored. He wants your finances restored. He wants your relationships restored. He wants things in your life restored. Now, listen to me, not just restored to what it was, but even 20% on top of that. He died on the cross for you and I for that to happen. We need to believe that. I said we need to believe that. We need to expect that. Let your imagination go there. I've been having some of the wildest imagination. I mean, I mean, like they can make a movie of the stuff I've been thinking of inside my brain. But imagination is a God-given thing. <laughs> imagination can take you to a place where you feel like you can't go there in the natural. Because maybe you don't have the ability, the smarts, the wisdom, fill in the blank. But imagination can take you there. But your brain says, no, I, I just don't feel I can do this. I don't feel like I can, you know, I don't have the wits. Man, I've been fighting that. Have you ever fought that? You know, where like, you're not smart enough. You're not this. You're not that. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. But your imagination bypasses all of that. Because your imagination can just, I mean, if you want to be a princess, Cinderella, the horse. I mean, the knight on the horse. You may want to be the horse. I don't know. But I, the shiny knight on the horse is what I meant. Don't be the horse. But anyway, uh, your brain can take you there. Your brain can take you to be a, a fighter pilot, a, a race car driver. Your brain can take you to, and then it can take you to things that you don't even, people don't even think about. I'm talking about impossible things. Not normal things, but they're impossible things. God wants you to have your imagination to take you to the impossible thing. Some of you think it's impossible for me to be a multimillionaire. If your imagination can't take you there, you're probably right. If your imagination can't take you, I've had this sickness for 20 years. I've had this sickness all my life. If your imagination can't take you to a place of healing, to see yourself whole, to see yourself strong, to see yourself running, to see you slapping the devil upside the head. If your imagination can't take you there, but if you can imagine 
I can only imagine me singing a song. But anyway, if you, if you can only imagine things, imagine greatness in your life. Imagine greatness in your life. Imagine the impossible in your life. If God is going to make himself known in you and through you, it has to be something that you and your own ability cannot do. If you can do it, honey, you need to lift up your eyes a little bit higher. I was thinking about this, about getting restored, getting your soul restored. I truly believe you can get uh, your mental ability restored. I know a lot of people are, you know, they're fighting dementia or believe, you know, that's what happens to old people, if that's what you think. But I also believe that you have the ability for things in your brain to be totally restored. Let's believe for things like that. Not just one time or one day and go, oh, it didn't happen. No, honey. Keep on keeping on. There, there's things that, you know, I feel like, God, I can take my imagination there, but I really, what do I need to do for that to come to pass, to be fulfilled? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I do believe there's things, times that God will tell you, maybe some preparation time. Brother Hagin used to say preparation time is never wasted time. So you prepare for it, especially if it's in your future, you know, to have patience about that. I think we can miss it if, if we think that it's me and you, we making sure that we have to do everything. I believe there is one piece of the puzzle that I have discovered. And it's called rest. Rest. You go, yeah I, I, yeah, I like to rest. No, 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 no. I'm talking about rest in a supernatural way. And I'll explain. You know, there, there's theologians say this. The first time something is mentioned, it's called the law of first mentions. Have you ever heard that terminology? It's called the law of first mentions. You know, when God mentions something the first time in the Bible, you need to take notice of how that was used the very first time. Does that make sense? All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it what? He made it holy. First time holy is mentioned. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God wasn't tired on the seventh day, and that's why he rested. So God never gets tired, just so you know. Never gets sleepy, never gets tired. That's going to be you and me when we get our new bodies in heaven. Hallelujah. But it says he rested after because everything was finished and complete to his specifications. So the seventh day he rested, and on that seventh day he called it holy. The New Living Translation says this, and God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. So he declared the seventh day holy, and this is a time of resting so you can say, 
that this rest was holy. There is a rest that God says is so holy that you and I can't do anything to make it come to pass or fulfill it because Jesus is our Sabbath. He is what God did on the seventh day. He rested. That is symbolic of Jesus. Everything's complete. Listen to me now. Everything is complete. The first six days, he created this, he created that. And then the last thing he created was man because now everything was provided for man. I mean, what did he create man the first day and there was no earth out there for him to, or solid ground for him to, to be on? No, God makes sure, this is how much God loves you and he thinks about the timeline. I'm talking about your life from birth to the day you die. He's already gotten everything lined out and planned out, the giftings inside of you, everything, the, the people that you're supposed to meet, the situations you're, you're going to go through, uh, everything. It's all there. All right? So God did that with Adam and Eve in the first six days. Everything is created. Everything is done. And on the sixth day, he created man. But then on the seventh day, he rested because everything was complete for man to fulfill what God had for him to do. But why was the seventh day called holy? I think you can overlook that and just say, okay, yeah, it was holy. No, it was a time of rest. And rest had wrapped its arms around holy being the Sabbath or Jesus. Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus on the Sabbath day. This is a picture of Jesus being in rest. And so if you're wanting to understand some things about your life, about being restored, we have to come to the seventh day. Now, I know that I'm not trying to be complicated here or theological, theologian, slap you upside the head person. But I feel like we need to get a hold of this. I feel like you and I need to ask the Holy Ghost, teach me how to, to walk in that rest. Teach me how to enter into that rest. Because most people, they got, okay, what do I do in this rest? You know, I just, I needed to be doing something, you know, you know. Sometimes that's the hardest thing, you know, like I feel like we need to be performing or doing something. And God says there is nothing that you can do for this restoration thing to come to pass because it's you entering in. You do enter in. It's you entering into a place of rest which will be a holy place for you because that's where Jesus will manifest himself to you. Is that too complicated? So you and I, our prayer should be, God, I need, I need to, you give me insight, revelation, into entering into this rest, entering into this rest because the secret place, you know, Psalms says that there is a secret place that God wants to take you. But we have to know how to rest in him. I mean, just literally just sit there and go, okay, God, I don't know anything that I can do. And God says, it's about time. 
I try to fix my wife. I try to fix my husband. I try to fix my kids. I try to fix everything like I'm fixing a car. And God says, you can't fix everything in life. So what do you do when you can't fix it? You know what I mean by that term? You know, in the South, you know, we say that you fix this. She's fixing dinner. Well, I roomed in my in the Air Force for this guy going through training. He was from Boston, Massachusetts. He, I would just, there was such a culture of difference. He said, why are you fixing it? Because it's not broke. I went, what? He said, yeah, well, I'm fixing a goat. I'm fixing this, I'm fixing that. I used to say, oh, go get a Coke. You want to go get a Coke? He goes, yeah, let's go get a Coke. I said, okay. Uh, what do you want to drink? And he goes, you said Coke. I said, yeah, but that's all of the beverages known to man. I don't want a Coke. I want, you know, I may want a Dr. Pepper or a cherry or something. He goes, you said a Coke. We got through it. But anyway, my fixing, that's where I'm getting. I go, where am I going? There's things that you and I can't fix. There's things that, listen to me, that you may be regretting that you can't fix. There may be regrets in your life. There may be some choices that you made in your life. There may be some mistakes. You may have, you may have several stupid boxes in your past. I know I do. But God says this. He says, I died on the cross for all your stupid boxes. I died on the cross for all of your regrets. I died on the cross for every mistake you made, every mistake you will make. I died on the cross not only for your sins. Thank God he died on the cross for our sins. Thank God he died on the cross for our health. Thank God he died on the cross for your provision so that you can have every need met in an abundant way. But he also died on the cross so that things and your life could be restored that you have no way, shape, or form of doing it yourself. And the great thing about God is he won't just restore it. It'll be 120% better. It'll be better than what it was. It'll be better than what it was. So, Psalms 23.3, David said this, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's because of God. The Amplified Version says this. He refreshes and restores my life, myself. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with him. Not for my earning it. <laughs> Did you see that? Not for my earning it. You know, I earned it with this. You know, I, earned, I got here on my own. I earned it. God says, no, I'm restoring you. Not for you earning it, but for my sake, God says. He says, I'm, not, I'm doing this. Not, it, it doesn't even really have anything to do with you. I just want to show people around you that God is working in your life because you couldn't do this. So they know that, man, that was God. That was God. I, I've told this story before, but it just came to my mind. I was refueling. Uh, I refueled jets for those who, who don't know what I did or aircraft. Well, they were jets, all the jets. No, I feel, refueled a C-130. That's a prop. But anyway, I refueled aircraft up in the air. And one time we were, they called it taking, taking uh, 
uh, a set of four F-111s. They called it Cross the Pond, which meant across the ocean. And so this is the days before. This is 1978. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have, we had a navigator. We had maps. And I shot a sexton, you know, over the sun and the stars to tell when you're over the ocean, where thou art thou. And uh, so you didn't have computers to tell you where you're at. You had to figure it out. And we didn't have all the computerized weather systems on aircraft like they have now. I mean, we had a crew of four, a pilot, co-pilot, navigator, and then me to refuel the aircraft. So there was just four of us. But anyway, we were going across the ocean, and the uh, navigator, uh, there was a report saying that there was storms in our path. And so he said, you know, boom, you need to make sure that, you know, you get those four refueled pretty quick. Because this is a problem. When you're taking smaller jets across the ocean, you don't just refuel them up one time, you know, and they make it. If there's not a place where they get fuel, there's a turning back point, okay? Something happened, something went wrong, so they can, you know, turn back and land at an airfield close by. But uh, if you don't get to that point, he's going to be swimming. So uh, it, I got the first one refueled, I got the second one refueled, and then I got the third one refueled. And by the time before the fourth one came off our wing to get him refueled, the winds picked up and the storm started hitting that plane was all over the place. You know, it's hard to put a four-inch pole into a four-inch hole when both of you are doing this. It's just kind of hard to do. May I add, impossible to do. And uh, I was laying on, on, you laid down, you look out this big windshield, and you got a flight stick in one hand, another controller in this hand. You're laying on your stomach on this, and you're looking at the pilot. You know, he's right down there, and you're laying on your belly. And so... Um, I'm doing that, and the storms, I mean, it was bad. It was rough. It was one of the roughest storms I've ever been in in all of my two years of life as an Air Force. But uh, my whole body was coming off that pad, going, boom, boom. I mean, the tail would go down, my body would go up, and then we would meet, boom, boom, boom. Somebody said, did you get sick? I said, no, there is a time when fear is greater than any sickness that can come on your body. So uh, I let go of the controls, and I was just grabbing underneath. You know, you could grab underneath it so I wouldn't keep getting beat up. And uh, so the navigator radios me and says, boom, we're getting to the turnaround spot. He's got to have fuel. And so I'm 19 years old, ladies and gentlemen, 19. I don't know why they let 19-year-olds do what I did. <laughs> called the government but anyway <laughs> so anyway I uh I when I joined the air force I got real close to God closer than I've ever been in my life I talked to him on a daily basis I I read my bible I had a close relationship with God and so man I'm just laying there and hearing what he said and that guy's just he's just following us like and he kept following us and he should have turned around now he's passed the note. So now if he doesn't get fuel in the next few minutes, he's going to be swimming. I'm 19 years old thinking this. You know, multi-million dollar plane down there, much less a guy who's going to be swimming in some frigid ocean. And uh, so I, in the name of Jesus, I spoke to the wind. I spoke to the storm. 
and commanded it to stop in Jesus' name. And immediately, it was as still as I'm standing here today. Man, I grabbed all of those controls, and I read it on. I said, all right, let's go. Come on. And I just started talking to him, not Air Force talk like you're supposed to. Okay, 50 feet, you know, what you're supposed to do, all this technical stuff. I just said, get in here. <laughs> he flew that thing up. I, I tagged him, you know, and got his fuel to him, popped him off. And as soon as I did, man, this when the plane started doing all that again, and my pilot came on, and he said, man, that was sure luck back there, boom. And I said, I said that to the whole world, to everybody on the comm radio. I said, that was God. That was God. My point is this. God wants to do things in your life to such a supernatural point that people it was quiet after that. You know, they were saying, oh, man, it was lucky. And the other guy on the navigator, yeah, boom, man, I was lucky, man. I went, yeah, he was going to go swimming. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so funny. I said, that was God. It was God that did that. No talent of Mike Davis, no ability of any boom operator can make that happen. There is a rest that when you step into this rest with the Lord Jesus Christ, not only does it become holy, it becomes supernatural. <laughs> I need to write that down. I'm going to say it again because I wasn't in my notes. There is a place where you step into that not only gives you rest that you know that you can't do it, but it also becomes a holy place. And you know, holy is like, ooh, it's just holy. And I'm in that place. But that place is a place of supernatural. It's a place what man cannot do. I believe it's Mark 10, 27. They, Jesus said, with man it's impossible. But all things. How many things? How many things? All things are possible with God. Who knows that the man is in that secret holy place where Jesus, you're abiding with him, and the supernatural is now available for you to walk in. Let's stand. Praise God. Holy, holy, holy. You know, and we, church has gotten holy wrong. We think that the more that we do right, we become holy. The more that we do right, listen to me, the more that we perform right, the more holier we get. You can't, that, that's not what God's saying. We've got the cart before the horse. Because you know you're holy, things you, you'll start doing right. You don't do right to become holy. You are holy. You can't become holy. Because you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are holy. And because you're in that secret place where Jesus abides and dwells, you're holy. Not because of what you've done or can do. But now that you know that you're in there, you, trust me, your life will be transformed. You'll walk holier on accident. You'll walk holier than you ever could. Instead of, I got to be right. I just got to do this. I got to do this. No, 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 no. Get into the secret place. Rest in him. You'll start treating your wife better. You'll start treating people better. You'll be at peace.
and everybody around you is driving down Highway 50 doing 65 in a construction zone that says 45. Swirling in and out. When everybody in your boss is ticked off and everything, you'll be at peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. But this peace only comes from me. And you can only, listen to me, you can only be a recipient of that to be manifested if you're in that place. On the seventh day, God said, I rested. And I made it holy. I proclaimed it holy because that represents Jesus. And then David says, that's the place where I want to rest. I want to rest with God. I want to rest with God. He leads me to rest in green pastures. Psalms 23, 2. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me besides the peaceful streams. God says, I'll lead you. Come on, this is because you and I can't find that on our own ability. He says, I'm going to lead you. Grab hold of my hand. I want to lead you. I'm going to take you there. And most of us go, well, I can do this. And I can, no, I got this. I got, you know, that's a famous phrase. I got this. God wants to make sure you don't say that phrase to him. Because we don't got it. Even when we think we got it. No, just lay yourself down at the altar and say, God, I, I can't do this. I need you. I need to find that, that place. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you for the place of rest that's been created when you created the world. When you created everything, the next thing that you did, you created a place called rest. You created a place that's holy. You created a place where Jesus is all about the seventh day. You said... Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray for everyone here today, God, and those who would listen to this message in the future, that they would just look up to you. Why sit downcast on my soul? Put their trust in you. That all of us would learn to grab hold of your hand and walk to the place called rest. Because that will be the place where people are being restored. That will be the place where people are healed, touched, delivered, and set free. That will be the place where restoration will begin, but it will be at 120% level. That people will be astounded. Father, thank you for ministering to your people today. Causing people just to lean on you more and more and more. Because we desire that holy place. Because it's available for all of us. It has already been created for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.